You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Good morning. Good to see you guys here this morning. I'm uh, glad that Audrey prayed that uh, we'd be open to being challenged and repented this morning because it's a doozy. Um, And in fact, this morning we're going to be continuing our sermon series through the parables of the kingdom of God that we started back in November and we took a break to do our uh, Advent uh, series. Um, And so this kind of seems like ages ago that that we started this thing. Speaking of which, a couple days ago, um, that's a good segue, right? Ages ago, a couple days ago. Um, No, nobody, just me. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, a couple days ago... uh, a friend of mine, Steve Burse, who's uh, that guy right there, just wave to everyone. Um, he, he decided out of the blue, I guess, because there's no particular reason that this happened, um, no good one anyways, uh, he decided to send me a text, and it was an incredibly rude message that didn't make me feel very good. And uh, it went like this. 1998 was 20 years ago. That's all it said. It's out of the blue. A simple but yet loaded message with, with so many implications. And uh, I'll give you the, the, the main context of it. And Steve and I, we actually met back in maybe 97, but we, but we uh, formed a rock band in high school in 1998. We were, we were pretty cool back then. Which means that 20 years ago, I was in high school. Two decades ago, I had a beautiful full set of hair. <laughs> All these, you know, things are coming up in my, in my mind. So upon reading that text, you know, I immediately started to feel kind of old and bald and couldn't believe how quickly that, that time had gone by. And I was also saddened by the fact that, that I wasn't actually in a rock band anymore. So thanks, Steve. Um, but that also got me thinking about the 90s, you know, growing up in the 90s and, uh, and the music back then, you know, just thinking about the music back then and, and one song that still sticks out in my mind, but that I didn't really listen to personally that very much, but it was always playing at youth groups and, and youth events and stuff like that, was a song called Big House by Audio Adrenaline. And as Steve's punishment for sending me that text, I'm going to call him up here and he's going to sing it for you. This morning. <laughs> All right. I'm just kidding. I won't make you do that. That's, that. That would be torture for everybody involved, including Steve. I'm sure some of you know that song. Obviously, you guys, some of you were cheering. And uh, yes, some of you weren't born yet, so you have no idea what I'm talking about. And, 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 and that's cool. I'm dealing with that. Um, But for those who don't know it, for fun, I'm just going to read you the chorus of this song. It goes like this. Come and go with me to my father's house. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. A big, big table with lots and lots of food. A big, big yard where we can play football. A big, big house. It's my father's house. Ibbity-bitty, bop-bop, bow-woo. Yeah. So that's Audio Adrenaline, Big House, circa 1990s. 
sometime. I didn't look it up. I don't care that much. So I apologize to those of you who know the song because now it's in your head, right? It's one of those songs. Uh, it's been in my head all week since I've been working on this message. It's just, uh, it just gets stuck and it stays there forever. Uh, but basically the gist of the song is twofold. It's pretty obvious. First of all, as I mentioned earlier, it's, try, it's trying to tell us in a fun way. I didn't actually mention that earlier. It's trying to tell us in a fun way what the kingdom of heaven will be like, right? But secondly, and most importantly, I think the point of the song is to say, hey, everybody, God has given us all we need and more. So, so come and live with him. Come into his kingdom and you'll want for nothing, right? There's lots of space, lots of provisions, lots of shelter, lots of fellowship. It's got it all. That's what it's saying, right? But in, and, in, and in a similar but much better and, and more profound way and more uh, theologically correct way, Jesus is using these two short parables that we're going to read this morning to tell us basically the same thing, that the kingdom of God, once found and received, is all we need. It's God at all. It's worth it. It's priceless. So let's read that right now. Turn with me to Matthew 13. 44 to 46. Matthew 13, 44 to 46, Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. So we have two stories at play here. Both similar, but they're both unique. They both stand on their own as well. The first one concerns a man. I'm going to go go through this for you just really quickly. The first one concerns a man. He's probably a farming hand or something. We don't know his occupation. Jesus doesn't tell us, but we can assume he's working in a field or something, right? And he stumbles upon buried treasure in this field. And in our day and age, we, we... we don't really understand the concept of burying valuables in a field. I'm sure most of us don't go to our backyards and like bury buckets of money um, because we have lock boxes and banks and safes and security systems and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and also back then, you know, we don't really understand, but they were under greater threat of thieves than we are, uh, as well as conquering armies and looters that would show up unannounced, right, and more. So if someone had something valuable... It was common to bury it in a place that only they knew about so that, so that they, could, they could go grab it whenever they wanted to and no one would steal it from them. So this man stumbles accidentally upon this treasure that someone had probably buried. Basically, he wins the lottery that he didn't buy a ticket for, right? Um, but to make sure that the treasure find is legally his, since it's not his land, it's not his treasure, right? So he sells everything he has and he buys the land that the treasure is buried in. And you're thinking, well, shouldn't he have told the landowner that there's treasure there? Actually, legally, he didn't have to. So don't worry about it. Um, if the landowner knew it was there, he would have taken it with him when he left, right? Um, but right, right away, though, upon reading that story, it's obvious that whatever treasure this man found, it was worth it for him to, to, to give up and sell everything else he owned in order to obtain it. Which means that nothing he owned compared to it. Nothing he owned added up together 
could even compare to this treasure. You know, selling all he had was, wasn't even enough to buy the treasure, right? It, it didn't add up to the treasure. It added up to the field that the treasure was in. Right? The value wasn't even close to what the treasure was worth. So, so this shows us very clearly that the treasure was all he needed and could ever want. And the second story is similar. Here we have another man, but this time he's a merchant who's actually looking for fine pearls. So remember the man in the, the first story, he finds treasure kind of by accident, he stumbles upon it, wasn't necessarily looking for it. But this merchant is intentional in his searching, in his seeking, right? He's actually looking and looking as someone who has an eye for value. He knows value. And when he finds that one priceless pearl, he's almost more than willing. He's, he's joyfully eager even to sell every other pearl in his collection and everything else that he has in order to, to buy it, in order to hold on to it. Again, the major theme that stands out here as well is that the pearl was so valuable and filled him with so much joy that it was worth giving up all he owned so he could obtain it, so that it could be his. Right? Of course, in both scenarios, Jesus is telling us that the treasure in the field and the priceless pearl, they both represent the kingdom of heaven. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Our eternal life in Christ is like. This is what our glorious station as citizens of God's kingdom under God's rule and reign is like. And so, again, the first characteristic of the kingdom is that it's priceless. It's all we need. It's God at all. Nothing compares to it. It's worth more and satisfies more than anything we could ever afford or conjure up on our own. Nothing needs to be added to it. It's the one thing we long for and once found, we'll be willing to give up anything and everything to obtain it, to keep it, to hold on to it. But here's the part that, that I think that we, we often misunderstand. The danger, really, is that we start to think maybe in light of these stories, we think that maybe, well, maybe Jesus is telling us that we're supposed to raise enough funds or, or do enough good deeds or enough good works or whatever so that we can purchase it for ourselves. We start to think that we need to buy the kingdom of heaven as we read these parables. And uh, I want to make it clear that that's not what these parables are about. Because while the Bible can be ambiguous on some topics, it's pretty clear on this one, no one can buy their way into the kingdom of God. No one can buy their way into the kingdom of God because of our deeply rooted sin, our sinful nature. No one, whether by their own merit or wealth or good intentions or self-righteousness, it doesn't matter. No one can purchase or earn this priceless treasure of righteousness that would give us access and citizenship into heaven, into God's presence of a holy God. We can't obtain holiness on our own. So this idea that we have to buy our entrance fee to get good with God is not what these, these parables are showing us. It's not what, not what Jesus is telling us here. Especially when we recognize in the stories, you know, if we, if we go into the details of the story, we see that the man and the merchant sell off all their stuff. When? Only after they found the treasure in the pearl. Right? That's when they sell off their stuff. The selling off of everything they own is their response to finding the treasure. It's their response to hearing and receiving the good news of the gospel. Of course, there is a cost at play here, and we're going to get to that in a second, but I just want to make it clear that it's not to pay for our salvation or access to God. In fact, the, the apostle Peter once sternly rebuked a man for trying to pay for the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts 8.20. And 
which, said, which goes like this. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. So again, we on our own, we can't purchase the kingdom. We can't purchase salvation. We can't purchase the Holy Spirit. Good news, though, it's already been purchased for us. 1 Timothy 2, 5 to 6 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the human Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a payment to set all people free. This was a testimony that was given at the right time. Excuse me. And 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus paid the price for our sin. Jesus won our forgiveness for us at the cross. Jesus gave himself as the payment for our salvation to set us free, to cover us in his righteousness. And now he freely gives his love and grace and his righteousness to all those who believe in his name. So we can't pay to get access to God. But the good news is we don't have to because Jesus did it for us. Which means then again that these these two short parables aren't about salvation. They're about what happens after we've found this treasure of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, right? It's about how we respond to finding the priceless pearl. What comes next? So how did these, again, how did these two men respond in the stories? They eagerly and joyfully got rid of all that they owned. They sold off all they had so they could invest solely in the treasure that they'd found. That's how they responded, which means then that this parable is about, these two parables are about getting rid of the old and replacing it with the new. It's about the cost of discipleship, which, as we've seen in the example of the merchant especially, is really no cost at all compared to the unfathomable riches of the kingdom, as Paul describes it in Ephesians 3. All these other pearls that the merchant owned and, and probably placed his financial well-being in, his job in, his trust in, his hope in, and he probably leaned on for security, all these were easily given up once he found that priceless pearl. Compared to the eternal riches of the kingdom then, from our perspective, our earthly stuff, our wealth, our, our statuses, it's all, it's all worthless and temporary Right? Our idols, the things that we, that we worship and love in the place of God, like maybe money or status or other gods, these things can save us. The things that we place, place our, our confidence and our hope in, besides God, including our own pride and our own self-righteousness, they're, they're hopeless. Our self-centered kingdoms are puny compared to the riches and glory of the kingdom of heaven. And if we found it, if we found that treasure of the kingdom of God, here's what will happen. We'll joyfully get rid of all that we desperately clung to in order to obtain it fully. We'll joyfully get rid of all the guilt and shame that we've been carrying and unable to let go of. We'll joyfully lay down our crowns and, uh, of self-righteousness and humbly rid ourselves of any thought we had of earning heaven on our own merit. We'll joyfully lay down our burdens and our hopelessness. And we'll joyfully lay down our selfish desires and our sinful lifestyles because as it says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, we were bought with a price, so now we glorify God with our body. 
That's how one who is truly saved, how one who finds the treasure truly responds. Not that all this change is going to happen in a day, right? We don't instantly become perfect. The stripping away of our old self is a sanctifying process that lasts a lifetime. And it starts when our hearts have been made new in Christ. And so if they have, it will, be, it will become our desire. It will become our goal to strip away who we were in order to become who Jesus saved us and called us to be. So in summary so far, so far, how do we respond to this free gift of salvation, to this treasure, to this priceless pearl given to us freely through Jesus Christ? We do it by declaring the cliched phrase, but we do it with all joy and heartfelt sincerity. Take the world, but give me Jesus. That's how we respond. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Matthew sixteen twenty four to 25 goes like this. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What Jesus is telling us here is that the kingdom of God being a disciple of Christ, that stands on its own. So not only should our response be to live for Jesus alone once we've received that grace, but this is also the only way that it can be. That needs to be made clear. This is the only way it can be. There's no room for other idols. We can't serve two masters. We can't seek after Jesus while seeking after something else. As Tully and Tervigian wrote, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Last week, uh, Blair was reminding us of our calling as a church to love God and love others. And he was doing that through challenging us and and bringing us to repentance for the times that we haven't done such a bang-up job. Right? And that that was really good. But what hinders us from living as citizens of the kingdom of God? What hinders us from not doing such a bang-up job, right? What, what, what hinders us? It's easy. It's when we don't do this. It's when we don't have the attitude of the man and, the mer- and, the, and of the merchant, right? When we don't deny ourselves and take up our cross. That's when we start losing. That's when we start slipping. When we start hoarding and investing in things that aren't of God. When we're not compelled by the love of Christ, but by our own interests or by society's pressures, when we're still holding on to those parts of our old self, those, those burdens or, or pride or lust or whatever, whatever it is, right? We all have our idols. We all have those things that we, that we cling to and we hold on to. Uh, and at one point in Jesus' ministry, this man, this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and, and he's been following the law pretty perfectly. And he asks what else he needs to do to get into the kingdom of God. And Jesus answers him. He says, sell all you have, give your money to the poor. And follow me. But the man, he couldn't do it. And Jesus isn't saying here that having money is bad. Don't misinterpret. He's not saying we all need to give all our money to the poor. But this charge was directed personally at this man. Because obviously the rich young ruler's idol 
his sense of identity, his sense of security was tied up in his wealth. He's been referred to as the rich young ruler. So Jesus was speaking directly to his heart. And it turns out that he was unable to to let it all go. Face to face with the source of the kingdom of God himself, yet the rich man was still unable to sell all he had to follow the one he'd found. As Jesus reminds us, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. He tried to save his life in his own way. He lost it. But then Jesus says, but whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake, he'll find it. This is the cost of discipleship. To surrender all we are to Jesus so that he can lift us up. Is it worth the cost? I'd say so. Because remember that the stuff Jesus is calling us to sell off and leave behind is the stuff that doesn't and can't belong in the kingdom. Stuff that may look like satisfying pearls, but stuff that leads to death. The stuff that Jesus has won victory over at the cross. He's saying, now you can lay those things down. You can give those things up. I've won victory over those things. Our sin, our pride, our self-righteousness, our fleshly desires, our, our idols, the list goes on, right? Jesus is only calling us to rid ourselves of the things that are keeping us from being faithful to him. But here's the question. Have you or are you willing to lay down your life for the sake of Christ? To follow him, to seek his will over yours, to be, to be obedient to his call no matter what the cost, to invest in his kingdom and his will over your own selfish interests. Isn't that how Jesus taught us to pray? Let your will be done, Father. Let your kingdom come. For the man and the merchant, this wasn't even a question. The, tre- the, the, the treasure, the priceless pearl that they found forever changed them. So for them, selling all they owned was easy. Giving up their old lives, their, their, their jobs, their social status, all their stuff, which I'm sure that they valued beforehand. It was easy for them to get rid of. It was, they, they were eager to do it. And on a side note, remember that the man, he only had enough to buy a field. So he wasn't, he wasn't too wealthy. But the merchant, on the other hand, he probably had much wealth because he's selling pearls. Pearls were worth more then than, than they are today in the market. So both men had, had different measures of wealth. Which means the amount we sell off isn't the point. How good or bad we are isn't the point. This is the point that both of them, they had seen the truth. They had seen life. They'd seen salvation. They'd seen the kingdom. They'd seen Jesus. And it changed them. It changed their lives, their purpose, their passion, their hearts. They longed to hold on to it and invest in it above all else. Which means that everything distracting them from doing that had to go. Letting their stuff go was worth it. 
And the proof of our salvation is our willingness to lay down our lives. Again, we know that the man and the merchant found all they needed because they gave up all they had for it. And if we believe Jesus is all we need, right? we were singing it earlier. Now unto the king, right? everything unto the king. Your grace is enough. If we believe that Jesus' grace is enough, if we believe Jesus is all we need, then our lives will show it. That fruit in our lives will show it. Let me ask another question then to all of us, including myself. Does this describe your relationship and desire for God and his kingdom? In your marriages, your relationships, when you're alone, when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're at the movies, does this describe your relationship and desire for God and his kingdom? Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you read that, does this describe your life in Christ? A couple years ago, my oldest son, Liam, he got this pretty cool Nintendo Mario stuffy. It was, I think it was one of the bad guys. Or, or a stuffy is a plush toy in the common stores. We call them stuffies at our house, so it's cuter. Um, if you've, and if you've ever met my other son, Elliot, he's, he's four years younger than Liam, and if you've ever been in his room, you'll know that he's obsessed with stuffies. He also loves Mario toys. So at the time of this story, Elliot probably owned 10 or 12 Mario-themed stuffies. His collection has grown uh, insurmountably. Is that, the, is that how you say that word? I don't know. It's grown incredibly since then. And uh, so, of course, Elliot was jealous that Liam got this Mario stuffy that wasn't part of his collection. He didn't have this same stuffy. So he's, he's crying about it. Oh, I wanted that stuffy. Uh, you know, and like kids do. And, 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 you know, he wanted it for himself. And so finally he, he comes to this decision and uh, he told Liam that he'd be willing to trade all of his Mario stuffies for Liam's one Mario stuffy. And so Liam's probably like, all right, you know. Um, and, so, and in my head I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be a good life lesson. <laughs> and so... I let them trade. I pulled Liam aside and gave him a warning. I was like, this probably isn't going to last very long. So he's ready for it, you know. And um, I let them trade, and I, and I just, I, I remember Elliot running back and forth from his own room to Liam's room. And I was just surprised the whole time. Liam's, you know, got handfuls of stuffies, and he's running them to Liam's room. And he unloads them all in, in Liam's room and, and grabs the one and brings it to his room. And once all, you know, all the stuffies had been transferred the toy battle ended and silence and, and peace reigned once again in the house <clears throat> for maybe 45 minutes. When expectedly, Elliot came running to me crying again 
and saying in his own words of a four-year-old, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he regretted, of course, he regretted his decision and he wanted all his other stuffies back. He realized, what, I only have one stuffy and now I don't have 12 anymore, you know? Um, he wanted them all back. Unfortunately, Liam was kind enough to, to trade back. And uh, most importantly, though, the lesson was learned. And what was the lesson? Count the cost. Count the cost. Is this one thing worth it to sell all you have? Or better yet, are you willing to pay the price? Are you fully invested in this thing or will you regret it later? Are you just dipping your toes in? Do you, do you know what you're getting into? Luke 14, 28, Jesus says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? It's just smart. It's just wisdom to count the cost, to know what you're getting into. But in this case, we're talking about being a disciple of Jesus, being a citizen of the kingdom of God. Are you willing to lay down your life? Are you willing to give all you have for the sake of Jesus' name? Are you willing to pick up your cross? And some of us think we are, and some of us think we already have, but then, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we tend to try to withhold some of the payment, right? We hold on to certain sins or, or idols, trying to keep them a secret. And then we wonder why we're not growing in our relationship with God or we're wondering why God feels distant. Or like Elliot, we, you know, we revert back to the things that we'd given up. We want them back because we haven't truly let go of them. Or maybe we just become selective in what we choose to obey and what we don't want to obey. You know, we might say things like, Oh, I'll follow you, Jesus. As long as I still get to hold on to that bitterness I have for that one person over there. You know, I'll follow you, Jesus, as long as I, I still get to sleep around. Or as long as I can worship this other God too. Or as long as I don't have to love my enemies. And don't get me wrong. Jesus loved you and saved you when you were sleeping around and when you were harboring bitterness and when you were worshiping money and when you were loving yourself over your enemies, Jesus saved you and loved you and died on the cross for you while we were doing that. But his call to us after being saved is to go and sin no more. To sell all we have to buy the one we found. To sell all you have, all that you once were. To repent and turn completely to Jesus in faith. As John MacArthur writes, genuine faith is not a mere idea or a selective acquiescence to Jesus' teaching. It means letting go of everything else and giving up all trust that anything or anyone else can gain us merit with God. It is total surrender to the person and work of the Savior. Saving faith is an exchange of all we are for all Christ is. Total surrender to Christ alone. All that we were, 
sinful, lost, broken, guilty, poor, in exchange for who Jesus is, righteous, holy, loved, spiritually rich, citizens of the kingdom of God. When we put it like that, that sounds pretty uncostly. That's a pretty uncostly exchange to me. But as Blair reminded us last week, it takes humility right to recognize those things in us which we need to strip away and lay down because it is hard for us and our human nature to let go of things it's hard for us to not put all our eggs in one basket right but we need to recognize the things of our old nature that we're still clinging to so that we can fully turn to Christ And on that note, I mentioned the cost, about counting the cost of discipleship. Right? But what if, we, what if we looked at it a different way, from a different perspective? What if we counted the cost of denying it? Because Jesus calls us to do that too. For example, is following your selfish desires or in hoarding earthly treasures and instead of investing in the kingdom of God, is that worth it? Is that going to work out for you in the long run? Is it worth it for us to deny the freedom we have in Christ for just a little bit more slavery to the world? And while we're all contemplating it all at the judgment seat of Christ, what we think to ourselves, man, that was totally worth it. Glad I did that. Count the cost. Slaves to the world, which leads to death. You try to save your life, you'll lose it. Or slaves to God, which leads to life. Romans 6:22 to 23 it sums up this cost for us very clearly. It says but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves slaves of God right in in, in the case of our uh, parables this morning now that you've found the treasure you found that priceless pearl the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. And here's the cost for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, we count the cost. Cost of sin, death. The cost of following Jesus and living in his eternal kingdom, giving up the things that lead to death. And this parable, it reminds us that the kingdom of God is, is, is the greatest treasure like a priceless pearl beyond comparison to any others. It also reminds us that it's found by both those who, who aren't even looking. For, for example, the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. But it's also found by those who genuinely are looking. Those who seek and those who knock. They'll find and the door will be open. It reminds us that the treasure is freely given and freely available to both rich and poor. It reminds us that it fills those who find it with immense joy. And finally, it reminds us that it's all we need. 
The kingdom of God is priceless. Nothing compares to it. Nothing measures up to it. We could have all the riches and all the kingdoms of this world, and they wouldn't compare. If we truly weigh the cost, if we thoughtfully and humbly count the cost of living for Jesus, we'll find that this treasure is so valuable. We'll be willing to sell all we have, if that's what it takes which is barely anything at all in comparison. We'll be willing to sell all we have to buy the field that this treasure is in. We'll find that the pearl is so priceless that we'll be willing to sell off anything which we previously thought is valuable, but which are really filthy rags, so we can invest in Jesus fully. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Philippians 3, 7 to 12, and I'm going to end with it this morning. So as I read it, I would just ask you to really contemplate it and be encouraged by it. Philippians 3, 7 to 12, it says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count all those things as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you paid the price. That you gave yourself a spotless lamb without blemish as the to pay the ransom, to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And I thank you that you freely give that grace and that righteousness that you won on the cross. You freely give it to those who believe in your name, Lord. That you freely hand out this priceless pearl, this treasure, this access into the kingdom of heaven. Lord God, I teach you, I pray that you would teach us to know what it means to receive it and to follow you. Lord, I pray that your your Holy Spirit would bring conviction to, to, to our hearts, to what we need to set aside, what we need to turn away from, what we need to give up so that we can follow you fully, so that we can truly lay down our lives and pick up our cross, to truly follow you as disciples. And Lord, help us to to realize too that, that, that this isn't really much of a cost at all for us, that all you're calling us to give up is who we were before, 
broken, sinners lost. So that you can exchange those things with your righteousness, with your glory, with your citizenship of the kingdom. Lord, I pray that as we, as we grow in, in your word and in, in who you are and the knowledge of who you are, Lord God, that we would be filled with such immense joy that sacrificing, that, that paying the cost of following you would be, would be easy for us, like the merchant and the man in the field, Lord. That we, would, we wouldn't hesitate in giving up those things which are keeping us from being faithful to you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us the boldness and the strength to go all in. To be able to truly say, take the world, but give me Jesus. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.